The Ringer's Dave Hill takes you on a journey into the underground lives and careers of six professional gamblers. This eight-part podcast is a unique look into the gambling world that you don't want to miss. Check out Gamblers on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Hello and welcome to the Ringer NBA show. It's the answer. I'm Chris Ryan. This week I'm joined by Justin Verrier. Hello. And Rob Mahoney. What's up, Chris? Who are my former group chatters? I mean, they are still group chatting, but they, I used to be part of group chat. Now I'm on the answer. And now I'm asking big questions about the NBA trade deadline because for as much activity as we had yesterday, I still feel like there are some lingering unsolved mysteries. So I wanted my favorite detectives, my true detectives, to come and help me uh, solve this case. Hope you guys are doing well. Hope you guys had a nice evening after. After all the chaos of the afternoon. Well, do we have the money for the Unsolved Mysteries theme? Like the John Carpenter-ass theme song from that show? Rob, we do have the money. We, and that is now <laughs> the, the theme song for the answer. So yeah, we're <laughs> going to be, be jamming like a mega mix of all-time great mystery shows. Their theme songs like coming together in kind of a, a kind of European Mediterranean techno theme. <laughs> kind of like an Ibiza thing. So yeah, Barrier, you, speaking of Ibiza, you are... <laughs> um, Broadcasting live from there right now, actually. No, but you were really in, in the in the trenches yesterday. Obviously, we were, we put up a bunch of stuff on the site. Uh, we put up a few, several podcasts just just in Bill Simmons land alone. So I wanted to ask you now that you're taking a step back from it. Like, did you have any major? Like, did you feel like that was about an appropriate amount of action? Did you think there was going to be more or less anything else? You know, it's funny. I, I went back and looked at some of the more recent deadlines that we've had. And ultimately, I think we netted out around where we usually do. Like, I think we talk about a lot of the big stars moving, but there really isn't more than maybe one big name and a bold-faced name. And I don't even know if that's a good player. So for instance, like last year, I think D'Angelo Russell was probably actually the only big player that got moved at the deadline itself. So we approximated that. I think the biggest difference that I saw coming away from this and kind of looking back at it is it seemed like the action was centered on a few teams. Like you look back on it, it really was only the magic sort of the rockets. If you want to just count Oladipo in there, 
Well, there was a point in time where every single trade had either involved the Magic, the Kings, or the Raptors. Yes. Yeah. And so like the whole league was kind of revolving around them in some sense, either buying from them or selling to them. Yeah, this is a this is a trade deadline where I really felt like I was um noticing a lot of the rhetoric around certain teams driving the like perception of that. So like Zach Lowe saying this is gonna be a foundation, like what, what did he say? This the face of the franchise or it's a franchise alt- altering day. And they traded Norm Powell. You know, and that was like a kind of like pretty normie mid tier NBA team thing to do. Toronto's obviously an NBA title winner, but like they kept Kyle Lowry, they kept you know OG, they kept Pascal. It's not like they they just blew everything up at at the break. So it was it was kind of fascinating. I think going into it, it just like all of a sudden the Lakers became these like super aggressive buyers, but pretty much stood pat. You know what I mean? Like all these teams that I think had a lot of juice going into the deadline, and for the most part. It was it was a pretty chill one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only the only real curveball that we got was probably Vooch. And if we look back on it, the best player who got moved was probably Vooch. And I think it's just I, he's a good player. Don't get me wrong. I don't know like what that's going to do to the Bulls' bottom line for the season, but like that's just it doesn't feel like the same sort of splashy thing that we expect going into the night. No, but I I do think we got just enough of the guys we had been talking about, the Aaron Gordons and the Evan Fourniers, and they, they kind of wound up where we thought they would wound up. And then you have the Blazers jumping in to get Norm Powell. You have so, like just a, a couple of twists and turns along the way that kind of made you perk up, even if that was just Toronto opening up a couple of roster spots to ultimately do nothing with them. Yeah, there was, in years past, Justin, you mentioned a couple of these trade that deadlines passed. I went back and looked at a couple, and you know, you go back to 18, you have a, sort of the last great Cleveland makeover, which was a disaster uh, when the, the Clarkson and Nance uh, era began. Um, you get CEC Blake getting traded to Detroit. The following year, Grizz, the Grizz send Gasol to the Raps, and that's the sort of the Clippers sent Tobias to Philly. And that's the big, like, Philly just keeps redoing their entire team in midseason and, and hoping that, like, they come up with the right, like, caliber of st- want-away stars. And we didn't really have a makeover this year. I mean, obviously, Orlando, to some extent, announced that that they were going to be rebuilding. But there wasn't, um, with the exception of Orlando, there wasn't like a massive makeover, especially among a competitive team. And it seems like most of those teams are going to stick with the idea of consistency. But going into and coming out of the trade deadline, I do feel like we had a very, like, clear idea of like there are certain teams that are buyers and there are certain teams that are sellers and i wonder if this is us like internalizing tanking over the last 10 years to the point where we're like you know what who are we kidding the warriors are this is it the warriors are not going anywhere they should do x or they should do y or the warriors should be buyers and the warriors should be in the lonzo ball business or they should be in the vooch business or they should be in the zach levine business or or something where i feel like we're in the baseball binary now where we're talking about teams almost exclusively as buyers and sellers and that they can actually like turn the turn the boat in the canal a little bit better than they used to be in in the NBA, where it used to feel like if you got into some bad contracts, you were basically who you were for about five or six years. Yeah. I, I noticed two pretty big differences in this year as opposed to the uh, past couple of years. One is that there are guardrails in place against tanking. And I think it's been more prominent than it ever has been. So we had the play-in tournament. This is the first year that teams yeah. actually go into a deadline knowing that they have the possibility to make it uh, and also the flattened lottery odds. I wonder if that sort of thing has a chilling effect to where if you're a team like the Kings, like 
Maybe you trade Harrison Barnes. Maybe you play, uh, you trade uh, Buddy Heald. On the other hand, maybe you just keep those guys and just like roll the dice. Maybe you make it. Quiet has kept their own like a pretty good winning streak yeah. right now. Yeah. Yeah. They just blew out the Warriors last night. I think they scored like 140 points on yeah. that carcass of a team. And I think worst case scenario, just end up somewhere in the lottery. But as we've seen, like you could be the Pelicans and jump up and grab Zion Williamson with the number one pick. Uh, so there does feel like more more teams just like going for it. Just like kind of like, let's just, let's just see what happens. I mean, the pandemic is probably also playing a factor in this where there's a small sample size uh, and you don't really know what your team is. And you could probably convince yourself and your owner that you are the better team that you thought you were going into the season. And I also wonder uh, the other thing that, that seems to be playing to this is just, I wonder if teams are asking for too much. Like, I wonder if these big blockbuster trades have affected the market to the point where like it costs you multiple first round picks plus Wendell Carter, a recent first round pick in order to get a Vooch. Like, Lowry didn't get traded and I I don't know we'll probably get more reporting on this I wonder if they were just asking for too much yeah the Lowry thing it might be that he was just like look here's the deal I'm going to Miami anyway but it could have just been like if the prices were Tyrese Maxey Matisse Thibel and picks that's too much for Kyle Lowry right now Rob what do you think of that I do think there's more gray area to this year's deadline to the NBA in general than to what you're describing in baseball, Chris. I'm going to have to take your word for it. You could tell me literally anything about the market <laughs> dynamics of the Major League Baseball. B- baseball happens in our offseason. So, like, we're probably just like, yeah, sure. Sounds like uh, the A's blew it up again. But, like, <laughs> I, I just think they just felt like a little bit more nimble this year. Well, I mean, think about even the teams that were sellers or relative sellers, like give the magic on one end of that spectrum. They are doing their own thing, completely demolishing what they had. But then you have teams like the Warriors who are trading away Marquise Chris, getting some luxury tax savings, but they're not trading Kelly Oubre. You know, they're not trading Draymond Green. They're not trading Andrew Wiggins. They're holding on to something to make them competitive. You have Toronto who holds on to Lowry but trades Powell. And Sacramento, as we talked about, kind of trading some guys, keeping other guys. There's a line to walk here where, I mean, all NBA teams at all times are trying to have it two ways at once, right? They're trying to win, but they don't want to pay the tax. They want to rebuild, but they want to keep certain veterans. This kind of reiterated that to me, and you see a lot of those conflicting motivations at play with some of these teams. Uh, It's an impossible dance to do, but it's kind of what a lot of these teams teams end up trying. JV, I want to talk to you a little bit. This is an idea that you had before we even started the pod, but it was about this idea of some teams, and we saw their their sort of between through their behavior in the trade deadline having essentially like market size identity crisis. Tell me a little bit about what you meant about that, because I think you were talking about the Bulls, right? Yeah, I'm just constantly confused by the Bulls because like I grew up under this assumption that they were one of the major players. And it just seems like ever since Michael Jordan has been gone, they've always seemed to operate a little bit less like one of the big swinging teams uh, on the marketplace and more just like one that's content to build through the draft or like really work the fringes or or now as we're seeing play toward the middle, I guess. Like I, I respect them going for it with Vooch and Levine as your core. I don't know what type of team that's going to produce. And I also don't know if that's enough like long term if like Vooch and, and Levine are even going to stay there. Uh, it, it just it's weird to me to see that city given its history 
do that. And I mean, you could probably extend it down to like a Houston. Houston's a big market that typically is attractive. Uh, here they are just selling everything and they won't even like play for a Ben Simmons when they're going to deal a James Harden and just keep it going. They're actually going to raise this down to the absolute studs and play like they're OKC. It's just, it's very weird. It's creating this binary system in the league where it's like very have nots and I guess have picks and have not picks, you know? Yeah. Well, what does a big swing for the Bulls look like right now? <laughs> well, that's tough. Yeah, they, I they mean, kind of yeah. backed themselves into this position. But you would anticipate like maybe they would go the opposite way where you have a new front office. Uh, he gets out all of the picks that he probably doesn't like, but he's actually going to maybe play for another top three pick in his upcoming draft where everyone thinks that like there is going to be a superstar. And then you build your team. I, I guess I'm just not convinced in, uh, of Levine. But I also don't know like the fatigue that ownership has had and just the fans that have just playing like, I don't know, for the eighth seed for what, like just a couple of years now. Right. I think that's a huge part of it. And, and Levine is at the core of everything they're doing because you're at the stage with him. He's reached a level where you want to retain the one star you have. He's one year out of free agency after this season. And so you're looking down that line and saying, okay, we could preserve cap space. We could try to do this or that. We could try to do these summer machinations. If those fall through, you're really banking hard that your one really good player isn't going to leave. I don't know when I became the guy who really wanted Zach Levine to be on a good team and play with good players. That's been my personal journey this season, but that's where I'm at. And I'm I'm really excited to see what these Bulls look like. Yeah, you know, Kirk had that, uh, Kirk Goldsbury had an interesting piece on ESPN about the... Um, the tendencies of our big NBA stars and where they're going and whether they're going towards the coasts. And, you know, I think for the most part, watch it, watching so many guys pre, be pretty explicit about wanting to go to Miami uh, is, I think, is much about like lifestyle and, and temperature <laughs> and, and going to a temperate climate with no state taxes, you know, and, and, you know, guys going to California. But, you know, you see Brooklyn. I mean, Brooklyn's a cool city, but it's still cold and it's still, you know, loud and it's got all these elements of it that in New York's an expensive place to live is there's no one rule but I do think that we're starting to see if guys don't mind sharing the spotlight that we're just going to get more and more super teams because there's not that thing where where dudes are like hey you know what I think I'll just go and if I can be the guy in um in Indiana or if I can be the guy in on the T-Wolves or if I can be the guy on the Spurs I don't really mind where I'm living and instead, we're sort of seeing guys be like, no, you know what? It's much more convenient so that like if I pull my, if I twist my ankle, we don't lose seven in a row. You know, I'm going to go play in LA with LeBron or I'm going to play with the Clippers with the Kawhi or I'm going to go to Brooklyn and join a super team or go to Miami. So this brings me to Miami because Miami is this team that subtly did change their, I mean, if not their culture, at least a little bit of the their identity throughout this uh, trade deadline. They would trade for Depot who's long expressed an interest in going there in the first place. And it sounds like they're the nailed-on favorites to get LaMarcus Aldridge in the buyout market, which then would make their team kind of Jimmy and the old guys instead of Jimmy and the young guys. <laughs> it remains to be seen to what extent LaMarcus is like a serviceable player for them or not. But you kind of assume that everybody goes through the Miami muscle machine and comes out the other side in the best shape of their life. <laughs> so it's like the the Terminator time machine. They go back and they come back and they're like, ah! Um... Justin, what do you think of, of Miami kind of maybe taking a step back from Butler with these, you know, Hero, Duncan, Robinson, um, you know, uh, Bam, who's obviously going to be a huge part and be a starter, but like kind of bringing in some more veteran, veteran sensibilities here. It's one of the weirdest deadline, like 
refocusings or just like refurbishments of, of a roster that I've ever seen because they managed to do this all by only trading one pick. And I think it was a pick swap. It wasn't even a straight trade. Yeah. Like, so shouts to like whatever cap geeks there that are like working, uh, you know, the early hours in order to make that whole thing work. But I mean, they, I think they're a better team. And they maintain flexibility for going forward. Like a lot of the big guys they got didn't cut into their cap space for next summer. So like maybe they just delayed their Kyle Lowry pursuer. Maybe they just delayed, uh, you know, chasing Bradley Beal and they kept the Duncan Robinsons and whatnot. Like, so there's that aspect to it too. But it's just, it's bizarre. I guess they're better. Like I'm, I'm not much of a believer in current day Oladipo, but at the same time, like if it doesn't work, like they're in a good position. It, one of the more bizarre outcomes I think I've seen in recent history. Rob yeah. loved it. I know Rob loved it. I love it because it wouldn't be hard to cut bait on any of these guys if they don't work. And and Chris, you mentioned, is this them shifting their identity or shifting their culture? To me, it feels like them trusting it. It feels like them looking at what they did last year, bringing in Jay Crowder and Andre Godal at the deadline and say, let's try that again. Let's see if we can get some fresh blood in here. Let's see if we can get some different kinds of skill sets, see what that does for us. And this is a team that historically has done that. They will make a run at Goran Dragic at the deadline. You know, that's that's kind of how they roll. And it, the fact that they were able to add to what they do without materially changing who they are, the fact that they didn't have to give up Tyler Hero or Duncan Robinson or even Kendrick Nunn, like all the rotation guys are still there except Kelly Olynyk, And now you get to build on them with, you know, whatever remains of Victor Oladipo and you're bringing in Trevor Ariza and, ho- you know, hopefully Aldridge can give you something. Nemanja Bielitsa, I think, is a pretty solid stretch option for them. Certainly, you know, better than, than Myers Leonard could have been out for the season. So, and, you know, other things, not with, uh, yeah, other, <laughs> yeah. other things notwithstanding. Yeah. A better citizen than Myers Leonard as well. <laughs> a better a better gamer as well. <laughs> yeah. One can only hope. But yeah, I mean, I like what they did. And I like the flexibility it gives them within the world that they've created for themselves. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerMBA. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerMBA right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on Cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on Cars.com. So the Heat obviously were very aggressive. And I have to imagine that the Heat felt like we're actually not that far away. You know, getting being active and adding guys and um, recalibrating our lineup, our roster a little bit, restocking it. 
we're, we're not even that far away. The East is all bunched together. You know, three and nine is basically a matter <laughs> of a couple of games. Let's, let's get after it, you know? What do you think about the teams that stood pat? What about Philly, who obviously had George Hill for um, Tony Bradley, who I, I guess that was the wrong time to liquidate my 401k into his top <laughs> shot. Um, no, but Tony Bradley goes to Oklahoma City with, I think, a second rounder, and, and George Hill comes the other way. George Hill is recovering from a thumb injury, but seemed like a very phantom thumb injury. I'm sure it was a real thumb injury, but it seems like he's going to be ready to play pretty soon. Um, and he is kind of like a, if you can't get Kyle Lowry, then why not get George Hill kind of move? Utah stand stood pretty pat. What do you think about the teams who are like, we like where we're at and, and we're going to sit this one out? I mean, it's very weird that Daryl Morey is the conservative player at the table, but it just seems like now we've gone through two instances, first with the Harden trade and now at the deadline where he's like, nah, I kind of like my team. I'm just going to kind of keep going forward with this. Uh, do you I, think Daryl has it- caught dealer Danny-itis? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I, it's just, it's a little bit curious. On the one hand, I get it because you do have a young team. Like, you really don't need to rush the Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons core. Like, you could just keep rolling this forward and keep, like, applying different shooters around there and keep seeing if it works. The clock really isn't ticking there. On the other hand, and I, I do wonder, Chris, you could probably speak to this, but I do wonder if like Philly fans probably have dealitis where it's just like, maybe just see if this works for once and for all. Maybe don't trade, uh, blow this up every like six months. But on the other hand, I do wonder if like this is the window for them. Like the Nets are going to be a juggernaut as long as that big three exists. And right now, Kevin Durant isn't on the floor and he hasn't been on the floor for what, a month plus. And I do wonder like, maybe that doesn't happen going forward. And maybe this is the time you really make a push. Like maybe the bucks are better two years from now where they have the same team. Plus they have like a mid-level guy to throw in there. And so I'm of two minds here where like one, maybe the price was too high. And maybe Daryl was right for walking away. On the other hand, I really feel like this might be the year for Philly. Rob, what do you think? Well, could it have been the year for Philly if they had to trade that much stuff to get a guy like Lowry. And, and for me, it's not just the picks and, and Maxi and Thibault. It's, you know, you have to probably throw Danny Green in there for salary reasons. Mm-hmm. Are you able to cobble together the rotation you want with the size you want on the wing and all the defensive options you're going to need if you have to give up that much stuff? So I, I think, honestly, I think we're kind of onto something in the idea of Daryl, you know, we, we called it being conservative, but maybe being too demanding and too aggressive in drawing the line at, we are not giving up maxi under any circumstances or whatever whatever their line was yeah and also because i'll just ascribe certain behaviors to daryl Morey that i have no <laughs> idea if they actually if he actually does like he also could have been driving the market up on lowry a little bit you know what i mean like i think that he like there was a lot of talk about like what La- was going to take to get lowry and clearly everybody the lakers the heat the sixers all decided it was too rich for their blood um as far as Justin, what you were talking about with the consistency, and I mentioned earlier in the pod the the Tobias Harris trade that happened uh, earlier, like a couple of years back, when they just sent um, Boban and Landry Shamit a bunch of picks to the Clippers, and then there was the uh, there was obviously the Jimmy Butler deal that sent Dario Saric uh, and Robert Covington to the Timberwolves for Jimmy Butler. The Sixers have done this; they have done the like let's let's completely you know refurbish on the fly bring in what we what we imagine to be like a higher talent player and then try and just figure out like consistency and role and fit on the way on the on the fly. Uh I the thing that is kind of wonderful to watch this year as a Sixers fan is that 
every single guy, one through 10, including most importantly, Ben Simmons seems to know exactly what they're supposed to do out on the floor. And they know exactly where those like other players are going to be at any given moment. And yes, at the end of games, Ben Simmons not really being a, a shooting threat is definitely a thing. Like I've watched back-to-back games, Warriors and Lakers, where they were up 10, 20, 15 points and it gets down to pretty close at the end and you can see in the half court it's Tobias or nothing or last night it was Danny Green or nothing. Um, so it's definitely an issue and I think that somebody like Kyle Lowry would have been helpful. But you're exactly right, man. I don't know if Kyle Lowry would have been that much more helpful than having Maxi Green and Thibel going into the playoffs you know, and having stability and having guys that everybody seems to like and George Hill is like the classic, oh, you guys had a George Hill. That was really smart. That was like, nothing is going to get like tilted too much because of George Hill. Did you guys see anybody, other teams who didn't make moves that you were like, that was probably the best bet? Like what, Rob, what do you think of what Utah did or didn't do? I think the notable thing with Utah is, and really the, we can't, we can't say this enough given the size of their market and the fact that they have a new ownership. They didn't, you know, they're committing to be a taxpaying team. The, the, the fact that they kept their roster intact, they didn't touch, they, nobody moved, let, let's keep this chemistry going, let's keep this this group that we know is a good team that we've been building for for basically two seasons to get to this point. Let's roll it out and see what they can do. And I think Phoenix is in kind of a similar spot in terms of, you know, if, if you're a team that's on the rise like that and that's trying to break through the ceiling of the LA teams and the conference finals and try to get to that level, you almost don't want to just disrupt too much when things are starting to go well. You want to give give your group an honest chance to see what's going on in the playoffs. And I think both of those teams are, are going to have that shot. They, they both look pretty good right now. We'll see how they how they stack up with some of the best teams in the West and in the conference. But you know, I, I don't know what else I would want them to do beyond just kind of trust in what they've got. Yeah, I was surprised by the Lakers. I was surprised that they were even in the mix for Lowry. It felt very much like Twitter brain, like I'm going to put every current all-star into a Lakers like Photoshop jersey. Well, they also um, had the, the misfortune of of having to watch like THT, KCP, Schroeder, and Trez, like, but without LeBron and AD for a couple of nights going into the trade deadline. And I think everybody got really shook about that. Yeah, I mean, like, what would the team be if they had to, to trade, like, the bulk of those guys? I mean, that was the problem with Lauer. You had to get up to, like, what, like, $30 million or or close to that in order to match salaries. That would have been, like, most of the team, and they're already playing a skeletal unit. I wonder if it would have been, like, Caruso and, like, Damian Jones and Kyle Lowry just playing three-on-five for the rest of uh, the season. Well, I don't know if you saw the, the, ga- the full Galaxy Brain takes of the 15-step <laughs> plan to revamp the Lakers. Where I okay, we're, those were great. You know, we're trading these guys for Lowry. Uh, you know, we're trading Harold, so Andre Drummond's going to slot in for him. Like, But you know, that's not even Galaxy Brain. That's how the Cavs <laughs> used to operate. Like, that's, that's what the that Cavs happens. used to do. Yeah. Yeah. That used I wouldn't to happen have been surprised once to two that. times a year with the Cavs. It was just like, everybody out! LeBron's got a new <laughs> idea. You know, like... It's terrifyingly true. It's a scary world being LeBron's teammate. You're, you're up and out of there at a moment's notice. Um, I wanted to ask, throw another unsolved mystery at you guys here. Um, this is really a mystery as much as it is like a theory. Is availability the best ability at the trade deadline? Uh, I was struck by how, you know, two weeks, three weeks out, when we start really in earnest talking about guys who could possibly move, and all of a sudden... All, like a bunch of these guys, really good players and really interesting players. But we started talking about Aaron Gordon and Lonzo Ball as if they were like, we're, we're moving Dominique Wilkins and Charles Barkley at their prime. You know, like I was, it was definitely like a lot more like who will win the sweepstakes around Aaron Gordon where I'm like, 
we see what the winner gets in Orlando. Like they, that's Aaron Gordon is Aaron Gordon. But now, of course, he gets traded. He goes to Denver, and all of a sudden, everybody's just like, "Damn, is Denver going to win this whole thing?" But do you think part of the reason why I mean it's a market? Do you think part of the reason why we get excited by these guys is their sh- simple participation in this spectacle of getting dealt, Rob? I mean, I think history says that's true, just by the fact that. In the grand scheme of things, deadline deals are not usually that good. You know, like it's a very small list of trades made this time of year that actually capital M matter. And we, you know, we had one of those last year. We certainly go down the list of the Rashid Wallaces and the Pau Gasols and stuff like that. But is Aaron Gordon going to tilt the balance of the league? I think probably not. But the fact that if you're the Nuggets, you don't need probably. You just need a little bit of an inch of a chance better than you had especially given what they had to give up in that deal, which I think was totally manageable for their situation to justify pulling the trigger on something like that. So it's probably more of a question for those of us on the outside and how we talk about these things than the teams involved in them. I think they're pretty calibrated in terms of who Aaron Gordon is, who Lonzo Ball is. Yeah. And I think it kind of goes back to what we were talking about at the top where there just weren't many sellers. And so like we really knew the, the guys who every team was identifying. There really was just like a, a a chase for for certain players. And a lot of it seemed to be financially motivated, you know? Like a lot of the guys you heard talked about, John Collins, Lonzo Ball, everyone wanted to bring up the restricted free agent boogeyman, right? It's like, oh God, he's gonna get so much money this summer and yada yada yada. Like, do they want to pay him? Who knows? Lori Markin and another guy. Uh and it just seems like decisions are being made more based on finances and like what guys could make rather than like, you know, X's and O's or like, I need this rotation guy or I really want to make an all-in move now. And I think the other part of it could just be like, it just seemed like free, uh, front offices or the way we talk about things replicates how front offices go about them. And so I think like 10 years ago, we might have been saying like, Philly, just burn it down. Let's get Lowry and just rip and run, man. Let's just like <laughs> let's let's go let's go for this you, season. What's if the it point of work? having Tyrese Maxey unless you're going to trade him? Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But now we're like they need financial flexibility in order yeah. to make sure they have a mid level five Maury years. From said now. that in his press conference. He was like, "We have optionality." But yes. Rob, like, do you think that there is like an element to this where it's like obviously the Rockets? Like, look at look at what the Rockets have been doing. You know, Harden leaving was a devastating blow to the franchise. I think that they could have put together a more dignified NBA team over the last 12 months if they wanted to. Like, clearly it's a fire sale. I feel really bad for Steven Silas. I feel really bad for Raphael Stone because I don't think it's their plan to go through with this. Um, What what do you think? How much do you think it has to do with, say, the finances of Tillman Fertitta versus um, just the devastating impact of a superstar leading, of of having to trade a superstar that you're never going to get fair value for? I think the short answer is it always has to do with the finances of your owner. Like one way or another, that's always the bottom line with pretty much any transaction, any team building strategy. What is their diet for risk? What is their appetite for spending? And in Philly's case, or sorry, in Houston's case, not to to show my hand here, but I feel like they had the option there to get Ben Simmons. I think the reporting on that is strong enough at this point to say if that's what they had wanted, if they wanted the all-NBA player in hand, that was on the table. And they chose not to do that. They chose to go for Victor Oladipo versus Karis LeVert or Jaron Allen. And I I think that's one we're going to be second-guessing for an awfully long time. But their strategy certainly seems really shaky right now, given where they are. But a lot of that, a lot of what they have banked on is the risks of Brooklyn holding together over the long term. And so we're going to see with some of those distant picks, 
you know, Justin, you brought up a great point. Like, is this the time for a team like Philly to go in now because Brooklyn could get even better? If you're a team like Rock- the Rockets, you're hoping that Kyrie Irving rubs those guys the wrong way, that Kevin Durant, you know, isn't as available as Brooklyn hopes him to hopes that he'll be, that James Harden will hit free agency and start to reconsider his position there. That's kind of what they're banking on. Are Maybe all like of those hoping that good shooting goes out of style. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> you yeah. know, be- betting against some of the best offensive players of their generation, not the business I would want to be in, but that's the road that they've chosen for themselves. Yeah. The failure of Houston. I don't think is that they didn't get Ben Simmons. Like, yes, I definitely would have taken Ben Simmons rather than just like the absolute like, uh, you know, muffin basket of picks that they got there. But like they <laughs> declined Jared Allen and Karis Levert, both two very good players who would help them not lose 20 games in a row and be respectable. And it's not like they're they're so old that like, you know, you can't build a team around. They could just be like part of the core, whatever you want it to be, or you could trade them for more value than you got for Oladipo, which was literally a pick swap and fucking Kelly Olynyk. Yeah. (laughs) It's just like, that that was awful. I mean, speaking of the muffin basket though, Chris, this is a morning (laughs) meeting. You couldn't even put out some Danish or something for us. I'm sorry, guys. I I slept in a little bit. You know, I was up late watching French crime shows. So it was just (laughs) a little bit, um, no, you know, I think that that's like, but like, I want to go back to the superstars trading thing because it does seem like, uh, I don't really care as much about the like. I, I've gotten to the point where I don't really care as much about the player empowerment era and like just guys demanding out and they can demand out or they can't. I mean, like you can also just hold on to them. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't really make that big of a difference to me. But I do think that the teams have not figured out a way to catch up with like like. There's no way to kind of compensate yourself for the exit if you're going to do it through trade like that. And t- time after time people are playing the superstar sweepstakes and then when they lose the superstar, they're just like, we're screwed on like a galactic level. And the only team, honestly, and it's weird to say this about this team, that I think has handled it pretty well is the Pelicans. Like the Pelicans actually seem to be in the best shape after the departure of a franchise superstar. Does that does that track for you guys, Justin? What do you think of that? Uh, I think it's probably the only thing the Pelicans have done well of late because... <laughs> are not going well down there in New Orleans <laughs> so, as much as I like I appreciate some of the people in charge there and what they're attempting to do I mean I think the team that probably uh, you know leaps fro- leapfrogs them in that kind of like post superstar uh, aftermath sort of vibe I, I think it would be OKC I mean mm-hmm. they've just taken that approach they just haven't to picked anybody yet yeah <laughs> right right, right. Yeah. yeah they just they if, if picks is a thing that like these teams are gonna get like I, I understand that it's a very difficult situation to be put in first of all for any of these teams like you're not going to get fair value for your superstar like there's no like making up for an Anthony Davis or you know a Paul George whoever Chris Paul um but it is curious that this is the way things are going now to the point where I, I don't know. Like, are these picks going to be helpful down the road? Who are these well, guys be, actually? What we got to see is what their value is. So, like, let's yeah. say, for instance, next, let's say Sam Presti decides Cade Cunningham is his guy and Cade Cunningham is going to save Oklahoma basketball. Um, he doesn't get the first pick. So he goes up to the team, whoever they are, Timberwolves or somebody, and he's just like, hey, look, man, I'll give you seven picks for this guy. Like, okay. Like, I mean, is that... I want to see whether or not the seven picks are the same thing to them as Bradley Beal. You know what I mean? Or the same thing to them as... Uh, I, don't, I can't even think of, like, a guy off the top of my head, but, like, the same thing as, uh, like, De- De'Aaron Fox 
you know, or something like that, where you're like, yes, I want seven picks. I want to worry about where these things are landing. I want to worry about getting these guys into my system and whether or not their games translate to the NBA. And what if they have something wrong with their knee instead of I see Bradley Beal every day and he looks pretty good. I'm going to trade my number one pick for him. I do want to say one thing in defense of Houston here. Uh, oh, relative, absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, Lowry te- seasoning te- is amazing. <laughs> Uh, you know, relative to Oklahoma City and New Orleans, so I think both did an amazing job with their return halls for their stars. Those teams were really opportunistic in identifying the situation that was in front of them. They also got a little bit lucky in terms of their front offices got to play the superstar empowerment market against the teams they were trading to. And, you know, like in, in the Clippers case, for example, they only get Kawhi if they have Paul George. That gives unbelievable leverage to the Thunder. And you had a, kind of a, a parallel but similar situation going on with the Lakers and needing to get AD. The problem with the Rockets is the primary suitors for Harden and the teams he wanted to play for were Philly and Brooklyn. Two teams that at that point of the season, given where they were, they didn't need James Harden. They, you know, they, they both could have gone on, had great seasons without him. They have their superstars. They have their cores. Unless you had that kind of compelling need, that existential, oh shit, LeBron James might get pissed off and want out of here kind of need, oh shit, we might not get Kawhi Leonard kind of need that puts the fear of God in you and you start unloading all the picks and pick swaps you have, I don't know how good a return you can really get. Yeah. Well, Kyrie Irving wasn't playing at that time. And then all of a sudden, post James Harden trade, he started to play again. So I, there are a well, couple of things that we don't again. actually know about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I mean, there did seem to be a bidding war that broke out there. So, like, I, I agree with what you're saying, Rob, but there did seem to be like a tension that led to uh, Houston getting all of those picks. But, like, I, I don't know. Like, so b- just circling back to the picks thing, for it's kind of like giving me cryptocurrency vibes here, where it's like these things could be worth so much on the open market because we know they're not going to ultimately all be players for Oklahoma City because otherwise they'd be fielding like uh, a community college football team. They'd be like right. 55 guys on that roster. So how are they going to use those as value in order to do what they want? That's exactly what I'm concerned about. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what is the value of these things? They could be enough in order to get Bradley Beal and just like stuff uh, Tommy Shepard's like mouth full of picks to the point where like he couldn't say no. On the other hand, maybe everyone's like, I don't want that. I actually want the bird in the hand. I want uh, Michael Porter Jr. I don't want these like these theoretical things that I don't know what I'm going to get for. Yeah, the only thing that you have going for you with those picks is it's the point in time where that person might be like, I do not want to be in Oklahoma is farther down the road. You know what I mean? Like, they're, they're not going to get a free agent signing. So everything they're going to have to do is going to be a trade for a guy who still has some time left on his deal or a pick where you can rebuild Valhalla with Durant, Westbrook, and Harden, except it's Cade and whoever else. But yeah, like, I don't really know I don't. I, I really want to see what happens with this with this pick bonanza that they have because I just I think some guys might turn their nose up at it and I don't know how much of a use use it, it has for people especially when you're talking about it, that kind of bulk size. I mean, in the NFL, you can just be like, "Look, we're gonna go get this left tackle and we're gonna go get this right tackle, and no matter what bozo we have playing quarterback, he's at least not gonna get sacked every other every other down, right? Like you can kind of build through the draft in a very effective way. Let's get the best safety, and chances are our defense is gonna be like okay." In the NBA, it's a lot like we don't barely have positions anymore. So it's a lot more like complicated to be like, let's get this guy for this amount of wins. I just like this crypto metaphor where Sam Presti (laughs) using all the picks is like everyone taking their money out of Top Shot at once and the whole system just (laughs) completely collapses. 
Trusty uh, coin. Well, yeah. guys, we can wrap it up there. Uh, did you have any other like big mind mindstone gems that you wanted to drop on me before we took <laughs> off? Any other like notebook scribblings about the NBA trade deadline to impart on me? What's the thing that nobody has talked about that you're like, hey, what's up with this? Anything? <laughs> the JJ Redick to, to Dallas trade? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that it's fine. There, there really was like a, a a big gap between like some of the moves and then everything else that happened. Like there were a lot of Mo Wagner's or Daniel Tice that like just flew under the radar here. Well, Boston. Yeah. Boston, Boston. is an, is an That's interesting a good one. That's a good one. test case. It all ends in Boston for us anyway. <laughs> I know, seriously. Uh, it just seemed like they were primed to do something. And yet again, they just like kept their ball and, and went home. I mean, I I do think like getting some depth pieces probably uh, affect their bottom line a little bit more than people would expect because it seems like the, the story of their team is just like after their top four or five guys, it just falls off dramatically. And so I do wonder like getting a Fournier for basically nothing getting Wagner who could like maybe play a little bit more of a stretch role than, than Tice. I don't know. Like maybe that affects them a little bit, but like I'm a little fatigued by Boston continuing to flirt with the blockbuster trades and then walking away with the same team that they have. What's the deal with the Tice thing? I thought Tice was good, by the way. I thought Tice I was fine. Like, I, it's apparently the entire team and city seemed to have soured on him, even though there were some very uh, lovely Instagram tributes to him from his teammates. <laughs> It did seem like Smart and him were about to tear each other to pieces on the bench the other night. And then, like, I, I just seemed like Boston Twitter was just like, if I ever see this guy play basketball again, I'm going to lose my mind. I just feel like we just came out of a multi year campaign of people telling us how good Daniel Tice yeah. was. And then yeah. he just got dumped for a moment. Reincarnation Bogger. of Mehmet Okur. Why are you guys disrespecting <laughs> the God? Um, yeah. Well, Boston, I mean, like, you know, like Boston, much like Miami, is, is you know, obviously like had a terrible season by their standards, but is also like right in it, you know, and Boston is like a five game winning streak away from scaring the shit out of me. So, uh, the trade deadline is over. The real work begins. Uh, the NBA playoffs are about what, like a month away, five weeks away. Yeah. And nobody else, nobody else is actually playing basketball these days. And no one is playing basketball (laughs) until then. So enjoy formula one guys. Uh, For Rob, for Justin, I'm Chris. Thanks for listening to The Answer this week. We'll be back next week with The Ringer NBA Show. You got real ones. You got group chat. You've got Ringer NBA University. There's the mismatch on the mismatch feed. And obviously, Bill and Ryan will be talking about NBA throughout the rest of the season. Thanks for checking us out.